Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I am Pastor Mark. And today we're going to be kicking off a little bit of a series that's going to be coming down the pike in the next uh, several weeks, uh, what we're going to call, I think, Reformed Perspectives, where we're going to be getting perspectives from uh, people inside and outside of the CRC in order to just sort of talk about what's going on in the broader Reformed world. Uh, It's uh, an interesting time to be Reformed if you're keeping an eye on things, (laughs) and there's been a lot of shifts over the last few years, I think. Uh, with what's going on in the broader Reformed world. Throughout the life of this particular podcast, we've talked um, at various points about the so-called Young, Restless, and Reformed movement, and I think that'll probably play a large part of the conversation today as we kind of talk about where the Reformed world is today, uh, the Reformed tradition, particularly in in our context in North America, Mm -hmm. and where it, it is headed in the future. And so throughout this series, we'll definitely touch on what's going on in the Christian Reformed Church, but we want to keep an eye also on uh, the broader Reformed world, what's going on, and other, uh, what you might kind of think of as sister denominations like the PCA or the ECO or the EPC. And so we'll get different thinkers, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, along the way to help Mm. uh, give their perspectives on what life looks like in their various corners throughout our part of the world. And so if you've been wanting to think about uh, where the Reformed world is headed and some of the movements and trends and happenings, uh, we hope that this series will be a helpful lay of the land, so to speak, as we begin to do that. Yeah, in the in the coming weeks, I, I would maybe describe what we want to do as a family reunion, <laughs> uh, kind of a strange... Uh, Sometimes people go to a family reunion, you see cousins you haven't seen for a long time, you talk about um, all sorts of surprising things that have going on and been going on in people's lives, and and we, we want to do a little bit of that with hmm. the, the Reformed world. And so um, next episode, we're going to have one of my friends from the RCA on, who um, his church has departed from the RCA and gone to the Alliance of Reformed, Congreg- um, Reformed Churches. And so I'm curious to hear about that, and uh, we'll talk to other um, Christian reform pastors, and um, I have a, a, a very dear friend who is a pastor in Nigeria, in the Christian Reformed Church of Nigeria. We're hopefully going to line up a conversation with him, because uh, again, it would, it would just be so neat to hear what being reformed yeah, in that context absolutely. is, and um, uh, hear about the church there, be encouraged by what Christ is doing through his spirit in that that nation of Nigeria. And so that's that's a little bit of a sampling. We'll have a few other um, conversations mixed in there. And uh, we're even hoping during this series to get some hmm. uh, some opposition, you might say, to, to what to what we say. And um, we would love to hear from people who are yeah. discouraged by the decisions of synod. Um, and just have a conversation about that um, openly, and 
um, instead of just writing things about one another where Reform Journal will throw their shots over at Abide and then um, <laughs> the Abide Project will sort of respond to things that, that they see happening, um, we thought maybe yeah. we could be a bit of a forum for a real conversation among yeah. Christian Reform ministers who disagree. Yes, we have some names in mind of people we're looking to reach out to, Mm -hmm. uh, but nothing too squared away quite yet, so we'll get to that when we do. But yeah, we're hoping that this will be a time for for you to hear various perspectives. I know um, I've been wanting to to hear perspectives for quite some time, um, just about what's going on out there. I try to keep my eye on what's going on in other denominations um, and what's going on in sort of the broader Reformed world. And so that's kind of what our our episode today will be about. It's just going to be the two of us. Uh, there's no cool guest to come on and, <laughs> and talk about things quite yet. That will come. But uh, yeah, where is the Reformed world today? I think, as I, as I mentioned at the start of this, um, there was the Young, Restless, and Reformed movement. Um, this is something that I, I, I have talked about. It's kind of a, a part of how I came into the Reformed world. Um, up to that point, this was in the late 2000s, early 2010s is when I sort of made my own intellectual journey into the Reformed world. Um, I noticed that the Young, Restless, and Reformed movement was kind of gaining steam. At first, I was very reluctant, but I eventually came around to it and became sort of a product of uh, names that are now uh, kind of, in some ways, shameful or embarrassing <laughs> to bring up. Uh, one being uh, Mark Driscoll. I was he was kind of my gateway drug, you might say, into the Reformed world um, through reading a couple of his books, and then through reading other books by other pastors, I made my way in. But it seems like today, um, now fast forward to 2023, uh, the Young Westless and Reformed movement is at a, a low ebb. Um, it has, in many ways, run its course. I think, uh, not to say that it's the Reformed tradition is not still a vibrant or uh, a growing movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think it is uh, the sort of uh, thing that it was uh, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and so as we think about the Reformed world, I think what we're beginning to see now uh, are a lot of people who came in through the young, restless, and Reformed window and are now settling into uh, various forms of confessional reformed theology. Uh, and this, this I think, just from my own limited perspective, uh, looks like m- it's mostly a, mat- a, a maturation of hmm. re- reformed young people uh, who are have been on their long journey looking for something more serious, more intellectually uh, helpful and robust. Um, and so I've known many along the way. I've had a lot of reformed internet friends that I've never met in person over the years that uh, many of them are now in very confessional, very conservative denominations uh, like the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, the RPCNA, mm-hmm. um, or others who have gone into the OPC uh, or into various Reformed Baptist uh, denominations or associations. And so I think that the, the CRC has been largely impacted by this movement, too. Uh, I think 
I am one good example of this, mm. but mm. I get the sense that there have been many others. And I think this is part of what's stirring the pot in the CRC. Um, I don't think that that's news to re- really anyone who's been keeping their eye on things in our denomination. There are a lot of young people who are for the HSR. Mm-hmm. A lot of people uh, who are in older generations than my own or our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, seem to be confused by this, thinking that younger people would be the ones that would sort of uh, move our denomination really into a more securely progressive Mm. ground, but that doesn't seem to have happened. And so this has left many people scratching their heads, but I think one of the main reasons that this hasn't happened is because amongst young people, those who have stayed in the church are typically those who uh, have good reasons to to stay in the church and to think really deeply about the Reformed heritage and who actually see it as something to be retrieved and adored and and clung to mm-hmm. instead of being something to play uh, sort of fast and loose with, to put it, I guess, in uh, kind of polemical terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is just something I've observed, but I think it there, there's a lot more that can be said. Maybe we'll dig into that. Uh, but there's sort of a, a maturation time, I think, happening now where uh, young millennials uh, who have come into the Reformed world are settling in and growing roots. And I think overall that's a very positive phenomenon, although I don't think it has, has come without its um, some difficulties, maybe some uh, overly robust forms <laughs> of confessionality or hmm. whatever, but... Yeah, that's just sort of my perspective of the lay of the Reformed land right now, uh, at least in its conservative element. Mark, what is your perspective? I'll be curious to hear. Well, it's really interesting. I think it's awesome that you're here, Zach, because uh, in a lot of ways, I think you do represent what has happened for a lot of people in the Young Restless Reformed movement, where they come in through authors like John Piper, I know you've mm-hmm. mentioned before, yeah. um, Driscoll, Don Carson, J.I. Packer. Um, yep. J.I. Packer wouldn't be a young, restless, and reformed guy, but, but we were was, all reading him. Was a big f- people were a fan of him. Yeah, and, knowing God um, was one of the sort of the canon of yeah, the books that you had to read. Knowing God, Desiring God by Piper, yeah. uh, Don't Waste Your Life by Piper. Um, yep. I believe Kevin DeYoung is sort of considered among the young, restless, yep. reformed I group. I think so. He, he really um, came t- into prominence through that movement. And he would be the only. Uh, popular voice, I would say, in that movement that was confessional to begin with. Um, maybe Tim Keller would be a popular voice too there. Sure, but, yeah. Um, but among the younger group, um, yeah. I, I would say all, all the other big popular voices, people who are conference speakers and so forth, were um, either baptistically mm-hmm. um, reformed or they were kind of Acts 29 Presbyterian-ish almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so... Uh, it's interesting to think about the overlap, if there is some, between that Young Restless Reform movement, which is often called New Calvinism. Mm-hmm. So John Piper, Paul Washer, John MacArthur, um, that's referred to often as New Calvinism. Yeah. And um, w- where there might be overlap between that and Neo-Calvinism, which is Bavink, Kuyper, more historic, yeah. confessional. A 19th century, mostly Dutch phenomenon. Yeah, um, a, 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 an expression of Reformed theology that is very connected to all the spheres of life, government mm-hmm. and um, worldview and all that. Um, and so it, it's interesting to think about where those things may overlap and what I I, I think you're, you're right. And um, 
that your your story corresponds with what a lot of other people have experienced, where some have come in through reading Desiring God by John Piper mm-hmm. and hearing him maybe just offhandedly referring to um, Abraham Kuyper and be like, oh, well, who's this other guy? Who's Whoa, this what's guy? this over yeah. here? You know, um, Or uh, hearing a yeah. reference to uh, Van Til or hmm. Gerhardus Voss or some more confessionally reformed people and then yeah. kind of continuing in that development in that direction. I think that ha- that has happened a lot. Um, and in some ways it's also happened for me where uh, people would be a little bit surprised <laughs> to hear that because I was born and raised in the Christian Reformed Church. All of my ancestors are Christian Reformed to a person, you know, um, and and so they would say, well, what is that? How? Why would you have to discover Reformed theology? Well, I was raised in a what was basically a seeker church in the Christian Reformed Church that had very, very little to say about um, a connection to the historic Reformed faith. Yeah. I, I, we were catechized, and so um, mm-hmm. I, I almost think that was mainly three or four people in the church who said, we need to teach our kids the catechism. It wasn't like a congregational value. It was just a few people who said, well, there's those three or four high schoolers in our church, which was me and my sister and a few other kids. <laughs> they need to learn the catechism. Yeah. And so um, that I'm thankful for that, but I didn't really get the sense for what like hmm. Calvinism really was or, or the Reformed faith was was really... Um, it wasn't giving me the worldview, maybe, yeah. that, that I have developed from reading more in my adulthood. Yeah. And so even in my adult years, even since becoming a pastor, I would say, um, I've gotten a lot more excited about reading John Calvin, Herman Bovink, Abraham Kuyper, because of this young, restless, reformed kind of applauding of those yeah. resources. And uh, I've, I've realized, wow, there's this gold mine right in front of me, and I've got to open it up more often, and, and, and especially with Bovink. Um, finding those things. Um, I, I hate to say it this way, but um, the fact that that it was popular to do that in Reformed circles helped me to see its yeah. worth and its value. Yeah. Um, I, I would hope that I don't do that too often <laughs> with theological things that just go the popular direction, but there was a kind of approval of theology even in and of itself and then reformed theology particularly that came from that movement um that helped me dig further into the tradition yeah uh, that's that's i think was was a huge part of the movement uh it was the it was a popular movement and it pulled people into it and it wasn't by any means a perfect movement we've talked in the past we did an episode on the rise and fall of mars hill uh, which was an interesting podcast on its own uh, about the mm-hmm. rise and fall of Mark Driscoll's ministry at Mars Hill. Um, and yeah, the Young Restless and Reform Movement, I remember coming into it, I I, I was under the uh, impression that reform, this reformed thing was a monolith. Mm. That everybody yeah. was just all on the same page. Everybody endorsed everybody's books and they all wrote for each other's little magazines like table talk or whether it was gospel coalition or or what have you um and then i quickly realized over the next couple of years that actually there are lots of differences and it's been interesting now to look back and to see that 
some of these sort of divisions uh, within the Young Restless and Reformed movement have become uh, much more clear and distinct. Um, we were just talking the other day, Mark, about the Gospel Coalition. Mm-hmm. I think the Gospel Coalition is a good example of what has come of the Young Restless and Reformed movement. It's still a fairly large uh, resource and website with a large imprint, and it's got many great authors who write for it, and it's still very active. I believe they still have their conferences every year, mm-hmm. and those are mm-hmm. probably uh, still pretty large, uh, well into, I don't know, the three or 4,000 people range. Um, but over the last few years, maybe since the rise of Trump, um, it seems to me that the Gospel Coalition is not the sort of center hmm. website for the broader Reformed evangelical world. Um, it, it, I think some of the, like Black Lives Matter was a big factor there, yep. so race issues race became issues pretty became divisive. Race a huge part yep. of the division of the Gospel Coalition, and so I, I just have seen people really rag on the Gospel Coalition as being basically too given to social justice matters, um, whereas some still love it. And it's interesting that it used to kind of be the website that truly was a coalition. It Mm. it was where things coalesced and came together. People came across boundaries in order to work together. Uh, And and that's an interesting part of the story, too. What was really holding the Gospel Coalition together? Because it wasn't a confession. Uh, It was basically a Calvinistic soteriology with a complementarian leaning um, or position. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting that to see that it has, in some ways, it's kind of unraveled. Um, and I don't say that pejoratively yeah. to speak ill of the Gospel Coalition, but just to use it sort of as, a, as an example of what's happening. I, I think some people in the conservative reformed world have transitioned more towards a, uh, I wouldn't say progressive, but I would say more of a moderate position, particularly on social issues. Um, and maybe a good example of this would be Russell Moore from mm. the, well, formerly from the Southern Baptist Convention. Now mm-hmm. I believe, if I've heard correctly, he goes to some Anglican church in Memphis or in uh, Nashville. Nashville yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a couple other big names that go to that church. Um, but yeah, it just seems that there there have been some lines that have been drawn yep. Yep. on political issues in the Reformed world. Um, and this is just to speak really, too, of the conservative Reformed world. We're not even really touching on what's hmm. going on in the progressive Reformed world, which, of course, is a part of our story in the Christian Reformed Church, especially uh, in these conversations we've been having regarding the Human Sexuality Report. Yeah, this definition even of what it means to be reformed is one that it's hotly it, debated. It, it is debated, and um, um, I guess even just speaking directly to listeners of this podcast, don't trust that everything that claims to be reformed actually is um, presenting yeah. reformed theology to you. There are uh, theologians, pastors, and philosophers who claim to be reformed who hold to a doctrine called open theism which is uh, the belief that God doesn't know the future, that God um, gives us so much free will that even God himself doesn't know uh, what will happen. And, and again, there's, uh, there's, there's a prominent philosopher who claims to be Reformed who is, is an open theist. And so those are absolutely contradictory theologies. Yeah. Um, but, um, but that Reformed heritage means a lot. 
particularly yeah. in our Dutch Calvinist circles where everyone wants to claim that title of being yeah. reformed and what it means to be truly reformed um, from one person uh, to the next could be very, very different. So, um, so what we mean when we call our podcast reformed podmatics is um, of course, a high view of the sovereignty and grace of God. Mm -hmm. um, Herman Bavink talks about uh, the reformed person uh, draws everything back, traces everything back to the glory of God. So yeah. um, God's glory being shown in creation, God's glory being displayed in salvation through Christ, uh, God's glory being displayed in the church uh, through the preaching of the word and the sacraments. And, mm -hmm. um, and so uh, God's glory being shown in the law, and so we love God's law. We're not a legalistic denomination, I don't yeah. think, but... Um, when we live in God's way, we glorify God. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, the chief end of man, as the Westminster Confession begins, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so um, we, we have a high view of the glory of God and a high view of the word of God as well. And so uh, the perfection of the Bible, and um, we, we talk about the Bible with, with great regard, with, with um, fear and awe, um, we, we love God's word and want to want to share God's word with other people again because God is glorified when yeah. his servants speak his word unapologetically and so um, that uh, that's that's what we regard uh, according <laughs> as being reformed and we're not just making it up as we go um, we, we really are trying to root that in the teaching of our reformed forebears which are um, primarily, of course, John Calvin mm -hmm. and Herman Bovink and Abraham Kuyper. We're reading a book right now called Contours of the Kuyperian Tradition, and mm -hmm. uh, it's just really resonating with me that, wow, okay, I, I, I'm right in line with, with where Kuyper wants to go in all yeah. of these different directions. Um, and, uh, of course, in our denomination, to be reformed is also to be confessional, and so we have the three forms of unity called the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, and the canons of Dort that um, that express our theology, um, use scripture throughout, um, and, and help. I'm going to teach this to the catechism students this coming Sunday. Why do we have the catechism? Because it helps us um, be together on what we believe concerning the Bible and what we believe concerning um, salvation through Christ and the law of God and how to pray and so forth. Yeah. So um, in in each of those those cases, I hope. Uh, people hear that there's a there's a real desire in Reformed theology, not just to be connected to God through the Spirit through Christ, um, but a, a desire also to be Catholic and and connected to the Church, the true living Church. Yeah, um, historically. Yeah, there's different ways of answering this definition of Reformed theology, and I think you've given a good example of what I would consider the theological answer. Mm. It's a theology. Um, and so there's certain theological pos positions that we hold that are sort of, you could say, enshrined in our tradition and are kind of first and foremost in our in our way of thinking when it comes to uh, what it means to be a Christian. Um, not that we want to downplay the sort of Catholic positions or Catholic things that we share with other Christians, mm -hmm. uh, but we, we have a a theological tradition where we emphasize certain things 
um, things that we believe are really important in understanding what Scripture is teaching. Um, and so, yeah, sovereignty is is a big one. Uh, we, we could maybe summarize also with the sola, script, sola yeah. scriptura, or the other five solas, sola fide, sola gratia, and so on. Uh, of course, those are shared by Protestants, not just the Reformed, but also we could then mention... Yes, the five points, those yep. are fairly important. That kind of touches on the sovereignty of God as well. Yeah. Um, but we could also give a, give a historical explanation um, by just going back and saying, who were the first Reformed thinkers? Mm-hmm. You mentioned Calvin. Um, and so I, I think if you can read the original Reformed thinkers of the 16th century and feel a large sense of sympathy with what they're saying and teaching— uh, then there's a good case to be made that you are reformed. So if you can read guys like Bootser or Peter Martyr Vermigli, if you could read uh, guys uh, in English, that would be mm-hmm. guys like John Jewell uh, or Hugh Latimer, uh, Nicholas Ridley. John uh, Knox, John Owen. John Knox, yep. John Owen. The, those are some of the Presbyterian and Puritan leaders. Um, those are... I, I like to just go and say ref, the Reformed faith can be mapped out historically, and mm. say it's a set of theological convictions that uh, uh, were sort of um, enshrined in the 16th century. And so I like to say, let's go read reformed.org. Go to that website <laughs> and go find their historical documents page, and you'll see all sorts of Reformed confessions, more than just the Belgic Confession or the Westminster Confession. You'll think, find things like the Second Helvetic Conf- Confession, one of my favorite uh, Reformed documents, or maybe you'll, con- you'll come across the Ten Theses of Bern, which was actually the first Reformed confession written uh, in the city of Bern. I believe that's mm-hmm. in Switzerland. Switzerland. Yep. Um, yeah, so those sorts of things are really fun to see the, the breadth of the Reformed tradition. You'll even see the 39 Articles of the Church of England, uh, which has always been considered a Reformed confession or document. Some people, some Anglicans don't like to call it a confession, but <laughs> I think it's clear that it is. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like to look at it in, as this in this historical way, hmm. because when I read all of these things, I, I get the sense that, yeah, I love what these things are teaching and saying. I, I think that they are deeply biblical. Um, it seems to me that a lot of people in the... Uh, progressive side and hopefully we'll have some progressive voices on this series to give us some pushback i would appreciate that but it seems from my own perspective that uh, most progressive reformed people have a certain version of kyperianism in mind Mm. when they Mm -hmm. talk about what it means to be reformed Mm -hmm. and it's a kyperianism that has a heavy emphasis uh, not on the antithesis of the Kyperian tradition, uh, but on what I guess you could call the sort of thesis. It seems yep. that there's a cultural uh, affirmation uh, that, that Kyperianism has built into it. It's kind of a political to... activism attached yeah, to it. And yeah, and so it's, it's a strong, maybe an overly strong understanding of common grace. Uh, and so they'll be able to point to the Kyperians like Bavink or Kuiper or others uh, of the 19th century and later the 20th century, and they can sort of map out the historicity of their quote-unquote reformed uh, thinking, but um, I get the sense that sometimes their their emphases don't fit well with what has historically been regarded <laughs> as reformed theology. Yeah. And so, yes, there's a historicalness to some of what they're saying, but I think when read within the larger swath of the reformed tradition— 
outside of just the Netherlands. I think people in the CRC should remember that the Reformed tradition is not just a Dutch phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think John that Calvin that will, was not Dutch. I think it disabuses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nor was he was he Swiss. He no. was French. Yeah. Uh, I think understanding the historicity of the Reformed tradition uh, and knowing those early reformers uh, helps people to be disabused of thinking that the Reformed tradition is just Kuyperianism. I, I think Kuyper mm. was a great Reformed thinker. Uh, you don't have to be a Kuyperian, though, to be Reformed. Mm. I, I think I am a Kuyperian, uh, for the most part, from what I understand that Kuyperianism is. Uh, but you don't have to be Kuyperian to be Reformed. It's it's bigger than that as well. And I don't know how much that gets discussed in the CRC. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's understandable, of course. So we, are, we have a Dutch tradition that we come from, and so, of course, that's a part of our story as a denomination. Uh, but I think people should realize that uh, the Reformed tradition is more than just the 19th century Dutch neo-Calvinist movement. Well, I, I guess I, we would want to help people evaluate Again, I think what it means to be reformed, and um, just from something I was reading in Herman Bovink's Dogmatics recently, um, he said one of the great core doctrines of the reformed faith is the doctrine of election. And so um, I, I'd have to reread it and find it, but if I remember correctly, he might have said it is the greatest of reformed doctrines is, mm-hmm. is that of election because it just is so saturated with the 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 sovereignty of God and how he does all of the work absolutely of salvation for sinners. And so um, applying that to today's context, we might ask, um, some people would listening to this wonder, uh, okay, do I go to a truly Reformed church? Do, is my pastor really hmm. preaching Reformed sermons? Um, I think we could simply ask, can you imagine your pastor preaching a sermon on the doctrine of election? On the goodness of election. The, the goodness of it, and, and, and referring to the elect, referring yeah. to God's saving work in Christ for the elect. Um, I think that when we ask that question of a great many Christian Reformed pastors, hmm. the answer would probably be no. Yeah. That... Uh, would my pastor really talk about the doctrine of election from the pulpit? I mean, so we're not even talking about like social issues or um, even something important like the human yeah. sexuality report, which uh, again, a, a minister, sh- like we, every Christian reformed member of a church should be able to imagine their pastor going into the pulpit and saying what our human sexuality report teaches, that, mm-hmm. um, that there is a design um, intrinsic to our bodies for sexuality, and um, written of in the Word of God, what it ought to be, and and so therefore, um, there are sins in our culture that our culture celebrates, including homosexuality, that are against um, God's created design for marriage and sexuality. Yeah. And so, um, if if one cannot imagine their pastor saying such things, then that's a problem. But but even mm. further, um, and maybe even more down to the core, uh, if somebody would say, I, I don't think my pastor would ever talk about the doctrine of election from the pulpit, um, then one really do, does have to, to wonder if that is a Reformed minister. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think 
I would love to read Bob Inc. on that. Um, I'm not, not familiar with that quote. Yeah, I wish I could find it right now. I, don't <laughs> just take be... my word from it, please. Read uh, volume yeah. two of the Reformed Dogmatics, yeah, which talks about God and creation. Go so. and read it. Yeah. Um, because in some sense, I'm kind of surprised. Not that I think election is something that isn't important. Um, it just seems that... I wonder if Calvin would have said that, but yeah. I wonder what he would have said as sort of the the doctrine of reformed faith. That would be interesting. Uh, but I can sit here and wonder all day, and that will be <laughs> fruitful for us. Um, well, it's a bit of a litmus test, I think. It um, but it, it, it doesn't mean that, that you need to hear about election every week. That, that oh, I think yeah. that's what yeah. someone who would uncharitably be listening to this point I'm making would assume. But um, I, I guess I'm asking the question: Would a pastor even say yeah. that publicly? Um, and and given that it is it is truly a core doctrine of our faith, yeah. uh, it's in all four of the three forms, or sorry, all three of the three forms of unity, mm-hmm. um, and of course, very clearly stated in the Canons of Dort, especially. Yep. Um, and so that's what we sign on to believe, to be defend, and promote. Mm-hmm. That the, every Christian Reformed minister signs his name, his or her name to. A document that says we we believe, defend, and will promote these doctrines as mm-hmm. true, and so if somebody's doing that with integrity, they should also be believing, defending, and promoting yeah. what we say we believe. And so um, I think that uh, the the reason that I would bring that up is just to recognize that um, reformed can have a cultural understanding, and so mm-hmm. somebody would say, "I'm from Grand Rapids. I went to Calvin. I went to Grand Rapids Christian High School." Calvin College, Calvin Seminary. I'm reformed. Yeah. You know, um, and honestly, people do talk like that. Um, mm-hmm. Or I, my whole, kind of what I said earlier about my own family, all my ancestors being Christian reformed. I don't think that that de facto makes me a reformed person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a theological determination, not a yeah. genetic like, um, determination. Not every Catholic is actually a Catholic. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people who say it, they're Catholic, but are you actually a Catholic? That's uh, not always the case that they are. Um, right. Um, it's not a social thing. It's not a or sociological thing. It, sure. It is a theological thing. And uh, and so what i hope you know we're talking in this episode about the state of the reformed church um i hope that we could move in a direction to embrace god's word more unapologetically and courageously mm-hmm. um and be a church of that's filled with the holy spirit john calvin was called the theologian of the holy spirit um yeah. that that we we walk in step with the spirit we strive for unity with god through christ in the spirit and um any number of things, of course, are happening in that we have a reformed view of baptism and communion, um, again, where we are spiritually nourished by our celebration of the sacraments. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I hope we move in a, a spirit-led, spirit-filled direction, proclaiming Christ and hmm. um, and holding to our doctrines and, and teaching them openly. I think we could probably yeah. do a better job of that in the Christian Reformed Church. It's something that I... I'm trying to incorporate more, and I believe in probably five of the last six sermons that I've preached, I've quoted the Heidelberg Catechism, <laughs> and so uh, that's something that I realized, wow, uh, people just need to be rooted in the history of the Christian Reformed Church yeah. and our doctrines, and so it's it's become a greater value of mine even in recent weeks. 
Yeah, I think that that's a good direction to move in. Not just being confessional for confessionality's sake. Or just teach it to uh, the kids. Yeah, or just yeah. teach it to the kids, but yeah. to uh, breathe it, basically, to to have it be a part of our our life um, as a Christian Reformed church. I mean, why else would we be Christian Reformed uh, if we're not going to actually teach our theological heritage and inheritance? Um, and so, yeah, if I think about where the Reformed church is going, it's probably going in all sorts of different directions. I can easily <laughs> yeah. talk about where I would like to see it go, something that I'm encouraged by, which seems to be sort of the outworking of, again, the young, restless, and reformed, but it's not just those people. It seems that to me that the reformed tradition is moving in a more uh, historical way. There's a, there's a lot of talk of what's called theological retrieval, and this is something that really excites me. Uh, it's not like we're trying to go back and just return to the 16th century because it was the golden era, but it's wanting to it's realizing that we have really imbibed in the 20th and 21st century a chronological snobbery where we think we're better or we have very little to learn from people in previous uh, eras of church history. And I think we've all begun to realize uh, that there's actually a lot that's really great that needs to be retrieved. Mm. Um, there are probably things that could do without being retrieved, um, arguably. Um uh, different uh, practices or mannerisms. Uh, <laughs> uh, legalism Legalism is a thing that often gets talked about in the CRC, and hopefully uh, we don't become legalists in, in a technical sense. Um, but I, one thing I'm really inspired by is this move to continue discovering the Catholicity of the Reformation and of the Reformed tradition in particular. Um, and this is maybe a product of my seminary education uh, where... Uh, this was talked about quite a bit. Two of my professors wrote a book called Reformed Catholicity while I was there, and I'm still very influenced by this movement. Uh, and I love the idea of just reading old theologians, not just Reformed mm-hmm. theologians, but reading Thomas Aquinas or reading the Church Fathers, reading Augustine and, and whoever else um, for spiritual Bede. benefit. Yeah, Venerable <laughs> Bede, who Mark just uh, kind of preached on uh, yep. a couple weeks ago. Um, this is something that that really excites me just as a trend, you might say, in the Reformed world, but it's something that I I hope becomes a sort of permanent feature of it uh, moving forward. It seems that in the 20th century, especially in the CRC, there was a sense that we wanted to throw off the shackles of the tradition. Mm. Um, we, we understood it to be traditionalism, and so I think we fought against it, uh, but I think that does a disservice to young people in the end where there's n- you're not really uh, trained or guided into the Catholicity of the church. You're just kind of given a flimsy, uh, a bad version of just pure biblicism, but there's not really any real spirituality or theological weightiness to it. Uh, you just are kind of, you know, I, I grew up on Veggie Tales and John 3.16, <laughs> yeah. not a holistic understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower. And so... Especially th- into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I didn't have much of a ballast, I yeah. think, in my Christian faith. And so I think that that's the benefit of doing uh, a little bit of historical theology. And so that's even why I'm starting a class this Sunday <laughs> at our church, doing a church history survey mm. um, for Sunday school for our adults, uh, because I want to get people steeped into what it means to be a Christian uh, with a historical, a view to historical theology. Well, that's interesting. Um, 
this conversation, I mean, we don't have a lot of notes for this one, uh, yeah, listeners. And so, <laughs> but, but what's it's it, something interesting has happened that we, we've talked about getting more precise in our reform doctrines, even in our preaching and in our teaching, hmm. while at the same time moving in a more Catholic direction. And so some people would say those two things are incompatible. Yeah. I mean, how can we be more precise in, say, holding to a doctrine like election um, hmm. or infant baptism and, and any other number of things, our confessions, our three confessions, yeah. while at the same time being more united to the Holy Catholic Church the church throughout all times and places. Um, well, the answer is actually that in reading Reformed theology, you will find John Calvin and Herman Bovink constantly referencing oh, yeah. um, those in the Holy Catholic Church um, from before the Reformation. Yep. And in fact, one of the ways Martin Luther um, appealed to many people in his day was that he knew Augustine better than any Roman Catholic. Yeah, he was an Augustinian monk. Exactly. So he knew Augustine. And so he he was truly connected to mere Christianity, to yeah. the Holy Catholic Church, um, in a way that the um, the sectarian sort of uh, groups uh, were not, or, or even in his day, the Roman Catholic Church had become disconnected from yeah. its... That Holy was the Catholic contention Church. of the of the Reformation. Yeah. Well, really, I think that was one of the main ones. There's a book that I, I just purchased. I'm waiting for it to arrive um, on my doorstep soon. <laughs> uh, called the Renewal or Reformation as Renewal. That's what it was. That's what it's called. It just came out. Um, it's by a Baptist of all people, um, and his name is Matthew Barrett, and it's arguing for the Catholicity of the Ref- Reformation. It's about a thousand pages. Wow. It's a big book, published by Zondervan. Uh, but it's a textbook basically for, I think he meant it for college and seminary classrooms on really how the Reformation didn't just come out of nowhere, but was born out of the best of the Catholic tradition. Um, and so I'm really excited to read it and use it in my church history class this semester. That's cool. I Well, and maybe that's a good place to stop is just to say, um, what is broader? What is becoming the, reformed? Right. What Well, what is the future of the Reformed faith? I hope it's a... Uh, a gracious attitude towards um, uh, people who disagree with us, like Herman Bovink had in his yeah. uh, lectures on the future of Calvinism. Yeah, Some absolutely. wonderful material in there about um, we hold to these doctrines, we love them, and we believe they're a, a great expression of what the Bible teaches. Well, at the same time, we have a humility about us. I think that that's actually core to the Reformed faith as well. And that's actually why Herman Bovink thought Reformed uh, theology does not have much of a future in America. He said Americans are are too aware of themselves. They're too sure of themselves yeah. to be reformed, yeah. which actually is a profound insight. Um, yeah. Yeah, a sense um, of the uh, Second Great Awakening in particular. And uh, the Reformed doctrine, I mean, we believe in total depravity, um, which doesn't work with the kind of pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps right. American ideals of uh, work ethic and independence and autonomy and so forth. So um, so I think um, to be reformed, yes, is to to hold to doctrines that are contained in the three forms of unity and to, and to truly hold to them, not just in word, mm-hmm. but also in preaching and practice and how we train up young kids and how we structure Bible studies for the, the seniors group. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it doesn't mean we're exclusive of any thought that seems to threaten any of those doctrines 
um, I would say we have a humble view of of our knowledge, and and hopefully we're always trying to learn so that God would be more glorified um, in our churches, in us. Um, and so I I'm hopeful. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not hopeful because I think the the reformed faith will just explode into um, yeah, kind of a, so. a nationalistic revival or something. But I'm hopeful because I think what we've got is true, and I believe that the young restless and reform movement helped us hmm. embrace it in in a way. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, it it wouldn't be good if we embraced Driscoll theology, but the fact yeah. that we saw reform theology applied to people in Seattle. Um, what man intended for evil in that place, God can use for good in Ripon, California, we, where we can say, well, it seemed to work. People, people were hungry for that solid, yeah. true biblical teaching, um, and maybe that's that's what we're called to provide for, to our, yeah, our congregation Yeah, I think it speaks here. to a spiritual hunger that people have in our world uh, today. Um, somebody who believes these things and believes them with with conviction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, hardcore fundamentalists who believe things with a lot of conviction and, and that can have a pull. So I don't think we need to be pragmatic in this sense that, well, we just need to just feed them with our, with our, uh, hardcore stance. Yeah. Every doctrinal sermon be, or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we do need to realize that there is a hunger for the riches of, of our tradition. And mm-hmm. that's something that we, we are blessed with. We shouldn't, uh, do away we shouldn't trade our uh, birthright for some porridge basically i think is, <laughs> is what i'm saying here yeah and so yeah we hope that over the next few weeks as we have other perspectives on what's going on in the broader reformed world uh, that, that it will be a blessing to you as you think about uh, the ways in which the spirit of god is at work in our corner of the larger body of christians around the world so thank you for listening today and we look forward to being with you next week grace right. and peace you guys yeah, bye.